right, thank God it's Friday, right? TGIF, thank you, Scott Shannon. Thanks to all of you for being with us. Toll free, our number, 800-941-SHAWN. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, Christy Nome is saying, hey, uh, why don't you come work for us if you're in law enforcement? She's going to join us at the bottom of this half hour. We have a lot of ground to cover today uh, as uh, we cover what is the battle, the race to destroy capitalism uh, as we know it which is everything in the Biden agenda. Uh, Now, is it true, Linda, tell me if this is true, that Joe Biden now said that we're going to have a travel ban with India? I don't know. Isn't that hysterical, uh, racist xenophobia on his part? I mean, based on his own definition, of course, right? I would think, just just saying. Um, Anyway, uh, House Republicans, by the way, they are now questioning whether the Biden administration inflated the census count in blue states. Now, a letter that's sent out by more than a dozen House Republicans today questioning the Commerce Secretary on whether there was any political interference in the final census numbers. Would any of this shock you? Would any of it surprise you? No, it wouldn't. The uh, population results released by the Census Bureau strikingly different from the population evaluation estimates only released a couple of months ago in December of 2020. And remarkably, the differences all benefit traditionally blue states, which gained population compared to the estimates over red states, which tended to lose population. I have one word for every Republican. It's called a lawsuit. Challenge it. See, we have this other branch of government. I know Joe ignores your branch, the legislative branch. Well, the judicial branch, co-equal branch, is designed to resolve conflicts between the executive and legislative branches. So we'll see. One what, what of the fascinating fallouts of Tim Scott's speech the other night is that uh, I'm watching the, the comments of Biden and Harris and watching them backpedal on the claim that America is racist because of what Tim Scott said. And I'll tell you the backlash that now exists in terms of how the media mob, frankly, they sound racist to me, the the viciousness, the repulsive comments, you know, at Jack uh, at Twitter allowed for 12 hours, the trending of Uncle Tim before he finally stopped it. Now, if it was a Republican of any kind, they would have been suspended. They would have been banned permanently. But, of course, well, there's not uh, any equal application of standards anywhere in this country anymore, especially our justice system. So, anyway, in an interview with the Today Show, a clip aired of the, the speech given by Tim Scott. Biden was asked to respond to Scott's remarks. No, I don't think the American people are racist. And he went on to give his explanation. But I think after 400 years, African-Americans have been left in a position where they're so far behind the eight ball in terms of education, health and in terms of opportunity. My first question hearing him was, what the hell did you do the eight years you were vice president? Because it wasn't you and it wasn't Obama that gave more money to historically black colleges. That was Donald Trump. It wasn't Obama and Biden that shattered record low unemployment numbers at one record after another for African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans. We've gone through the list many times. That was Donald Trump that did all that. Donald Trump that put in place criminal justice reform to end the disparate sentencing that was created in large part 
by Biden's 94 crime bill when he was calling, you know, kids in the streets predators. You know, and the idea, I just it just sticks. I know I'm the only one that'll say it. I can't help it. The idea that this guy partnered with the former Klansman and praised the former Klansman and praised other segregationists, praised the guy that filibustered the 64 Civil Rights Act, 65 Voting Rights Act, partnering with that former Klansman to stop the integration of schools because he didn't want schools to be racial jungles. How does he get a pass? And the, the most bizarre part of the equation is Kamala Harris called him out on this in a primary debate. Haven't heard a word since, nor has anyone in the mob, the media, dared to ask Kamala Harris, well, you said this about Joe. I think she was asked one time. Her answer was, oh, that was only that was only a campaign. That was only a debate. Oh, those those comments, what you said on that debate stage weren't sincere. But to think now, Kamala Harris also goes on record. No, I don't think America is a racist country. Now, even Tim Scott described that racists do exist in this country. There are ignorant racist people in the world. You're always going to have dumb, ignorant people, unfortunately. You're going to have people that, you know, are evil also in their hearts. All backgrounds, all racists. But that doesn't mean systemic racism is what the question was here, which they have been saying. You know, to what part, you know, Jen Psaki didn't want to answer, answer the question. I guess she's still circling back on the question of what about Joe Biden's past on the issues of race? Nobody wants to touch it in the media mob. They just try to ignore me when I bring it up. Uh, OK, we'll just ignore Hannity and hope that nobody else picks up on it. That's pretty much what they do. But but that's all because Tim Scott led the way on this. Now, there are important discussions to have. You know, you want to know, it, it, Joe is not wrong when he talks about the educational system. And he's not wrong when he talks about violence in our inner cities. This is something we pointed out repeatedly when he was vice president and Obama was president and Obama's home city of Chicago, the death toll that was going on even then. And the number of people shot every weekend and the people shot and killed whose names you never hurt here because it doesn't fit the political agenda of those that that selectively choose which which issues they want to highlight based on what political how they can politicize something. That's why if it's about a cop shooting uh, an, an African-American and, and involved in that shoot, we'll, we'll usually know their names, especially now with all these these body cam videos being released day after day after day. In most cases, they are showing a trend here that the cops have a hard job and that they have to determine in a fraction of a second whether or not the person that, that has been resisting arrest, running away from them, whatever the situation happens to be, whether that is a gun in their hand. And then they have to act. And in many of these cases, we're finding... Yeah, the people did have a gun in their hand and they were about to shoot cops. You know, three videos that we've shown in just the last two weeks on television showed that. Um, so that's happening. The what, what's fascinating, though, too, is. You know, I had somebody remind me, Rush said, uh, what did he say? He said, it's hard to compete with Santa Claus. Rush Limbaugh said that I'd never hear. I never heard him say that. But that sounds like Rush because Rush had that unique ability take on pretty much everything 
and his voice will forever be missed. And anyway, it's kind of a great point when you think about where we are and the appeal of socialism, especially among younger people, because they don't seem to realize that it's been tried in many forms. It's been given many names, and every time it is tried, it fails spectacularly. The idea that everything the new Green Deal is promising from pre-K education through college education, through loan forgiveness and and government daycare and government wages guaranteed and jobs guaranteed and health care guaranteed. Well, that's predicated on the idea that they're actually capable of following through and accomplishing the promises that they're making the false hope of the false security that they offer. But I would argue that the same people said that, well, they wouldn't squander the Social Security lockbox money, and they did, and and Medicare and Social Security are headed towards insolvency. The same people that promise you get to keep your doctor plan and save money, we're gonna we're gonna trust them again because none of those promises were fulfilled. The same people that can't keep law and order and allow basic security and safety for every every citizen especially in cities and states that have been run by liberal Democrats for decades, and the same people that promise good schools for your kids every two and four years, they've done a miserable job with that too. Now we're going to trust them with all this, and somehow we're going to be dumb and gullible enough to believe this? You know, $2 trillion emergency COVID relief, $3 trillion boost a bailout money, and and down payments for every new Green Deal fantasy, socialist fantasy ever. And everything is infrastructure now. Child care's infrastructure. Education's infrastructure. Everything's infrastructure. None of it's infrastructure. All it is is the new Green Deal socialism. They just don't want to call it what it is. Free pre-K uh, education. Free child care. Free college, uh, community colleges. Uh, free loan forgiveness. We're going to tax the evil rich and the corporations and, and people that actually make a profit in capital gains. And But you're going to get child care and school meals. Schools, yeah, great. Can't wait to see the government healthy food menu that they're going to offer kids. I'm sure they're going to love it. Sounds like something Linda might put together and, and prevent kids from getting McDonald's and a happy meal where they could actually be happy enjoying their meal. Anyway, that's what they're promising. Are you done? On this Friday, you feeling good? Yeah, why? Did, <laughs> did you tell Liam we've been talking about him? Oh, Liam heard the segment. Mm-hmm. Liam heard and, the segment. And does Liam, Liam agree said, with Uncle Sean or with no, Mom? No, first of all, Liam said to me, what is a Happy Meal? That and is I the said, worst part of this argument. He doesn't know. <laughs> and I that said, it's a heart attack. Depressed. He's five years old. He doesn't know what a Happy Meal is. The only kid in America at five years old that doesn't know what a Happy Meal is. And I said, don't you think that mama makes good chicken nuggets and french fries at home? He goes, oh, yeah, mama. They're the best. I'm like, okay. I was well, like, do you think you have enough toys? anything else other than what you, you give him. So he mm-hmm. doesn't have any reference point to, to, to sample what the other fare that exists out there tastes like. I, I got to tell you, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm just going to take yeah. a risk and say that my food might be a little bit better than McDonald's. Uh, you know, well, I'm just, just going to go out on a limb here and say, your, your Happy Meal chicken nuggets and air fried <laughs> french fries um, <laughs> don't include a toy, and mm-hmm. he's going to like the toy, and he's going to mm-hmm. enjoy those french fries probably a lot more than your air fried french fries. I don't think so. I don't think so. Don't hate it till you try it. Let me tell you. It's a game changer. 
Progressive lawmakers in the squad, they're now bragging that they own Joe Biden. They're bragging about it. They're bragging they're setting the agenda. Uh, You got a tweet, Congresswoman Omar. Yeah, key policies that have been progressive-sponsored bills for more than a decade now being pushed by the POTUS. Free pre-K, free community college, tax the rich, tax corporations, paid family leave, child care, school meals, that's the power of organizing. Let's keep going. Congresswoman Omar bragging she controls and owns Joe's agenda. Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, not enough credit is given to the countless activists, organizers, advocates whose relentless work is why we're even hearing anything about universal child care, white supremacy as terrorism, labor, living wages. Tonight, yes, we cannot stop until it's done. Keep going. Another squad member, Congresswoman Presley, listening to this joint address, I hear the influence of organizers across the generations. You have brought us to this moment. You've demanded union jobs, living wages, health care, paid leave, medical leave. This is a a once-in-a-generation moment. They're bragging. They own them. Just, I told you, Joe, Nancy, and Chuck are scared to death of the squad. The squad, the Green New Deal socialists, run the country. All right, final numbers in. I mean, Donald Trump's first joint speech before Congress had nearly twice the viewership of Joe Biden's low-rated speech. Only 24 million Americans tuned in. I'm going to tell you why. Because America's figured this out already. Um, they, uh, nobody in the media mob, they're not going to talk about it. They've figured out joe is a radical leftist they got it everyone hears it they pick up enough they see it and they they've come to their conclusion but what what is the point of of he's not going to tell the truth about core packing doesn't talk about it not going to acknowledge the crisis at the border not going to talk about dc statehood he's not going to talk about he's just going to give you everything is infrastructure and investment no it's higher taxes for everybody we're all going to pay. We're all going to. But now we're going to be energy independent. Every American will pay the corporate rate because they're going to pass that on to every American. And we're all going to pay more to fill up our gas tanks and heat and cool our homes. People have figured it out. Here's the next stage of danger that we need to pay attention to. Daily Caller had a piece today. Overrun by disinformation, liberal groups are urging Biden to crack down. Are you ready for this? on free speech now do you understand what that is if it wasn't bad enough that the media mob is 99 percent radical left it wasn't bad enough groups are trying to silence conservative talk radio as they've been doing for decades and and silence the few voices on fox and i say few because it has diverse opinions as everybody can tell um to silence every conservative voice. What does that mean, crack down on free speech? They actually want him to create a federal task force to combat disinformation. You mean like as defined by at Jack at Twitter and big tech that didn't want to run with the Hunter laptop story before the election, nor did they ask tough questions or Joe and they protected him in the candidate protection program? Governor Christie, you know him next. Well, even one of uh, fake news CNN's, I guess one of their their medical pundits, somebody that works for fake news CNN, 
had the same observation that I did and said it was really bad optics and 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 questioned why when the speech was given to both houses of Congress, there were only 200 people in the chamber that hold 1600, especially since everybody that works in the House and the Senate and Washington, they have been given every opportunity to be vaccinated since early well, late December of last year. So in other words, Biden is now out there saying yesterday, saying, well, Americans should keep wearing masks, even if they're vaccinated, it's their patriotic responsibility for God's sake. That's his quote. I'm like, well, hang on a second. Because my understanding was, as they, and I refuse to tell people what to do because I'm not a doctor. You know, I bring on doctors to interview them so that you can make an informed decision for yourself, hear different viewpoints, some that I agree with, some that I might disagree with, but at least you get to get some, some context and texture to the you must get vaccinated crowd out there. And I'm a believer in science and I'm not anti-vax at all. Not one bit of me is. I just want, I just don't feel it's my position as a talk show host, I don't know anything about your medical condition. And I'm also a believer in medical privacy. I don't think you should have to answer everyone's question all the time. Are you vaccinated? Okay. That, the idea is you get vaccinated to protect yourself if it's the right decision for you in consultation with your doctor. And I urge people to do all their research on their own, get as much information as possible, Consult with as many doctors that you might have or people that you trust that are doctors or medical researchers or scientists that you have faith in. And then based on your medical condition and consultation with your doctor, you make an informed decision. And, you know, I'm, I am grateful that, OK, well, we do have three vaccines. I've read the efficacy um, response of, on all three of them. I suggest you read it as well. Anyway. Somehow this is now, so it just is a little odd that it, Biden is saying if you're vaccinated, you should keep wearing your mask. It's your patriotic responsibility. And if everybody was vaccinated in the House and the Senate or at least had access to it, and if they want to keep people in masks, I guess they can indoors. He's saying even outside half the time. They can't make up their mind on that. The National Park Service in South Dakota denied South Dakota's request to hold the fireworks display at Mount Rushmore. Now, Governor Christy Nome says she's suing the Biden administration over their decision to allow the 4th of July fireworks at Mount Rushmore this year. They deny the state request to hold this fireworks display, citing concerns about COVID-19 and tribal objections and potential danger to the park itself. Anyway, this lawsuit is moving forward. Uh, Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota joins us now. How are you? Hi, Sean. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. Now, I think it's important to remind people, you never put any mandate in place at all. You urged people to be smart in your state, but you didn't mandate anything. You didn't mandate mask wearing, social distancing, but you told people in South Dakota that this is what the science at this moment, it often changed, was telling us to do, right? That's exactly right. Yes, we didn't do any mandates. We talked about personal responsibility, trusting people to make the best decisions for them, their families and their businesses. In fact, we were the only state 
that never once closed a single business, church, issued a shelter place, or did any kind of a mandate. So, you know, the people here in South Dakota just have gotten through this remarkably well, and we have the fastest-growing economy in the nation now, I believe, because of it. Everybody who wanted to have a little freedom in the last year, they came to South Dakota, moved, spent their money, took their vacation, and uh, it's we're doing really well. So let's talk about the Parks National Park Service denial of this request to have a fireworks display. Well, it's just punitive and political. Uh, you know, we we had had fireworks on July 3rd, the night before Independence Day, every year for many years until President Obama came into office. And then he took them away, said that there was environmental concerns. So one of the things when I first got elected as governor was I asked President Trump to help me bring them back. It's our one chance to really show off South Dakota, but also focus on Mount Rushmore, our founding fathers, and really talk about our nation's independence uh, on a worldwide scale. Everybody could see the show uh, when we had the fireworks display because there was nothing like it. President Trump did help us get the fireworks back. We did all kinds of environmental studies. We jumped through all the hoops that the federal government wanted us to. We we studied our water quality. We worked with our tribes. We went through all of the fire concerns, did back burning, and signed a memorandum of agreement. Hell hosted the fireworks last year. Now this year, we already had that agreement in place, yet the Biden administration, when they came in, refused to give us our permit, even though we had already shown and done all of the work and had the memorandum signed. Uh, and with no reason to tell us of why they were denying us the opportunity to host this show. So my only ability to really try to get fairness on this issue is to sue them, and that is what I'm doing on behalf of, you know, frankly, our state, but our nation, and the ability to celebrate our independence the way that our founders encouraged us to. It's pretty outrageous. You've, you've jumped through every hoop, uh, the environmental concern issue. In this case, though, they specifically cited concerns about COVID-19. Uh, now, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm onto something if even a fake news CNN medical expert and paid medical analyst says the same thing about the joint speech to Congress the other day that, that Biden gave and everybody was in masks and the social distancing that we all saw. With the idea, I th- I thought my understanding, Governor, is that if if you get vaccinated, uh, you're good to go, and life was supposed to get back to normal. That doesn't seem normal to me. And now he's saying, even if you're vaccinated, it's your patriotic duty to keep wearing masks. And up until this week, we were told that we even needed masks outdoors. Still, yeah, they're not using science. Um, it's actually, it's just stupid. And that's what's so hard about what we see our federal government doing right now. We hosted this event last year. I had thousands of people there, over 7,500 people there did no social dance distancing. We did hand out masks if people wanted them, but we didn't mandate them. We did contact tracing. We had people from all over the country come to Mount Rushmore to celebrate our nation's independence. And we did not see any cases and spread happening because of bringing those people together because they were careful and smart. And I told people over and over again, I said, if you are scared, stay home. And even President Biden has stood up in front of us and told us that by July 4th, we should be back to normal and we could celebrate our independence from this virus. What better way to do that than by gathering everybody at Mount Rushmore to celebrate our nation's independence? 
I couldn't agree with you more. Tell me about the process where uh, I'm sure you've spoken at length with, with the attorneys representing the state of South Dakota and representing you on this. What are they telling you? Where can you get an emergency injunction? Now it's April 30th. You don't have a whole lot of time, especially when you're talking about working its way through a court system. We don't. When they denied us the permits that were supposed to be allocated to us because of the memorandum of agreement is when we started working on what our options were. We have filed the lawsuit today. We're going to push it as fast as we can, but obviously we're dealing with the court system. You know, I I believe that we've got a tough challenge in front of us, but this is the option that we have. We've already, we can prove that we've done the environmental studies, so that we've studies have found that there's no significant impact on the surrounding environment. We have a go, no go wildland fire and forest fire checklist that there's all kinds of entities, local, state, and federal, that can declare if there's any fire risk, that the checklist doesn't get met, then we don't blow the fireworks up until a couple of hours before the event. We have consulted with our tribes. We have gone through all of the COVID protocols that they have asked us to do. There really is no reason they could have pulled this show from us other than being political or being punitive to the state of South Dakota. So that well, is Could I be a little bit do. of a, I don't know, I'm sure it'll be viewed as radical. What if you did it anyway? What if you just well, did it? it's a little difficult because it's surrounded by Forest Service land, which is federal property, and it's a national park. So it's a little difficult for the state to get access out there and launch the fireworks from where we typically do in a way that would be safe. You know, I've been looking at, around the surrounding area to see how we could celebrate and have a fireworks show. Obviously, all the communities throughout the Black Hills have their own fireworks show, shows, and so you know, having fireworks and the technology that's utilized today and still protecting the forest is, is possible. It happens every single year. I've, I've seen videos. I haven't been to it, and I well, I've been to Mount Rushmore, but not for the fireworks display. But I've seen videos of the fireworks display at Mount Rushmore. There's nothing better. Oh no, it's it's amazing, and I think actually, Sean, last year it was a moment of unification for our country. It was a challenging year, a, a year that people were filled with a lot of fear and division. That was right when all the riots were starting and happening across the country. And we all paused for an evening and talked about the greatness of America and its founding leaders that led us through challenging times, and we are better for it today. So I think it can be a moment where the entire country can come together and talk about our shared ideals. Uh, But if the Biden administration chooses to continue to be divisive and keep us from doing that, then it's going to take governors like myself to go after them and try to get equal treatment at least. Well, I, I hope that you're able to get this expedited. I'd, I'd love to see this happen uh, for the state and for the people of South Dakota and people from around the country who might want to attend. Uh, if it was a little closer, I'd like to attend myself. I w- I'd love to see that. Um, I noticed a tweet that you had put out, and it was in reaction to the article about, and I mentioned it earlier, 200 Seattle police officers quit citing the anti-police climate out in Seattle. The, the number of retirements and police officers quitting in New York City is unprecedented. We've never had this 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 level of attrition in New York as we're seeing before us. But that's after a billion dollar cut to the police budget and the defund effort and dismantle effort. And, yeah, it's become a hostile environment for police officers. So you sent out a tweet 
to these 200 Seattle police officers saying, I invite each and every one of these officers to apply for a career in South Dakota. We respect the work that you do to keep people safe. We'll always stand with you. We won't defund you. We'll have your back. Thank you for having ours. And I was pretty impressed with that. And I'm, I'm kind of betting that that might work. Well, it already has, Sean. Last year, when those riots started breaking out in many of our cities, I, in South Dakota, launched a national recruitment campaign for law enforcement officers, told them that if they wanted to live in a state that respected them and appreciated them, that we wanted them to move here and be a part of of our lives. We got hundreds and hundreds of applications from 41 different states. And those law enforcement officers moved to South Dakota, filled our security positions, are part of our highway patrol, our local sheriff's offices. And this was just another tweet today uh, where I again told my team, let's do another campaign letting every single law enforcement officer in this country know that if they want a new home and they want to be somewhere where people are thankful for their service, let's tell them that we want their home to be in South Dakota. You know, it's very, very interesting. Um I, and I think it's fascinating. It's very much part of the strategy. When I, I, I got to know Governor Jindal, Governor Rick Scott, Governor Rick Perry really well because they were up in New York all the time enticing businesses to move to their respective states, and they did so successfully. And every time they stopped by, they'd either come on TV or radio, so I got to see them and got to know them, became good friends with all of them. And uh, I see that outreach in your case, I think it may pay dividends. Probably you can entice a lot of businesses to move out there as well. Uh, your name is mentioned quite often, along with uh, Governor DeSantis, along with Mike Pompeo, uh, Nikki Haley, and a group of people that potentially, if Donald Trump didn't run in 2024, that would consider running for president. Have you thought about it? No, I'm focused on South Dakota. You know, Sean, we have thousands and thousands of people moving to our state right now, hundreds and hundreds of businesses. South Dakota has the fastest growing GDP rate in the nation. The next closest is Texas at 7.5%. South Dakota's is 9.9% right now. We have historic revenues. We're growing like we've never grown before. I said when I ran for governor that I wanted South Dakota to be an example to the nation, and that's exactly what we're going to continue to do and what my job is while I'm here. And I love the people here, and I'm, I'm incredibly blessed that we had the chance to, to do this job and, and be successful, adhering to our conservative principles and showing that it can be successful. It's amazing when you compare the, the a year out now, the, the draconian shutdown states to the states that remained open, and never never put these dramatic shutdowns in, in place and how much better off the people were in, in those red states, including yours in South Dakota. Uh, Governor, we love having you on. Thank you for being with us. All the best. We're going to watch this closely. If there's anything we could do to help, I'd, I'd love to do it. I think it belongs uh, at Mount Rushmore, and you ought to be able to have that fireworks display. You've jumped through every hoop possible. And uh, to me, it's just punitive partisan politics behind this, and I hope you're successful in the courts. Great. Thank you, Sean. We will. We'll keep pushing. Hour two, Sean Hannity Show, toll free. It's 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. So in West Virginia, the AG there just filed the nation's first energy environmental appeal at the U.S. Supreme Court since Biden took office. Now, thankfully, they're doing this. It seeks to overturn an appeals court ruling that would radically transform 
energy production nationwide. We spent a lot of time, stroke of a pen, you know, for example, if you were working on the Keystone uh, XL pipeline, yeah, you're out of work now, but don't worry, you're going to get another high-paying union job that doesn't exist right now. So the Attorney General led 19 other states urging the Supreme Court to act swiftly to stop this appeals court ruling that would give the EPA virtually unlimited authority to regulate everyday life with rules that would devastate the energy industry, coal mining, and increase energy costs. That's that's for every one of you listening. You'll pay more at the pump. You'll pay more to heat your homes, cool your homes over the summer. And they're arguing the lower court made a big error using a small provision of the federal law that grants the EPA broad authority without congressional input. What is What has been one of the signature signs of all things radical socialist Biden, and that is bypassing an, a co-equal branch of government. And this is what the third co-equal branch of government is all about when there's a conflict between the executive and legislative branches. So this is the way that this happens. And so they're arguing that this provision that, again, without any congressional input, to unilaterally decide to, quote, decarbonize any sector of the economy. But I mean, this is we are devastating the energy sector, high paying career jobs in this country. I mean, just with the stroke of a pen, they they don't want to bring this to the floor for a vote because they can't win it there. And they're just hoping that the courts are going to legislate from the bench, which so far they've they've had some success but i'm hoping the supreme court finally will take a stand and anyway to give us an update on it is the attorney general of the great state of west virginia patrick morrissey is with us well you've got 19 states now uh you're leading the way uh how devastating would this be and how impactful would this be on on energy jobs and on the price for energy for every american well sean first of all thank you for having me on and I thought your introduction did a very good job framing the issue for the American public. We need to make sure that all Americans know the huge impact of what President Biden's trying to do and what's at stake with this huge Supreme Court fight. So, Sean, you set it up right. The day before Joe Biden took office, there was a D.C. court decision that went way beyond anything we thought was even possible in terms of the EPA's authority to regulate emissions, to control America's energy sector, and to really run roughshod over the American economy. So as we've been watching what Joe Biden has been doing over the last few months and analyzing the law and that decision from the D.C. Circuit, we thought it was imperative to pull together a broad national coalition of AGs and say, hey, look, The EPA doesn't have unlimited authority to transform the American economy. We have to make sure that decisions at the level of climate change, those are for Congress to debate and for the president to resolve. You cannot just put the EPA bureaucrats in charge of that. So we think we have a very compelling case. That's why we're going up to the Supreme Court. Sean, it builds on the big win we had in 2016 when we obtained the historic state of the Obama power plan. 
But if you look at what Biden is trying to do, not only to wipe out coal, not only to dramatically curtail the use of natural gas, but to basically electrify uh, the economy, and that electrification word that I'm using, I'm not using it in a positive way. This is actually going to dramatically increase fuel costs and cripple our ability to compete on the world stage. The other critical point, Sean, I'd mention is that this is a giveaway to China. Biden, when he's coming up with his number to say we're going to reduce emissions by 50 percent, he's doing that at the same time that China is going to be dramatically increasing its use of coal. And so we are unilaterally surrendering America's energy independence to one of our chief foreign rivals. This is a disaster. of. Well, there was a news story today that they're also looking to, to partner with one of Saudi Arabia's biggest oil producing uh, companies in that country. So uh, that would tell me when you put those two items together, they're looking for world dominance, which, by the way, we've been warning about. Um, often when when we get to hear audio, we, there's, we don't have cameras at the U.S. Supreme Court, but you, we hear cases, uh, the audio cases. And when they're presented and arguments are presented before the Supreme Court, I mean, it's a very fascinating process. So, uh, somebody might on one side or the other side get out two words before the words, why are you here? Why is this before us? And it's fascinating because, if they, I mean, some justices, Scalia was famous for this. You know, you, you can't get a full sentence out and he's going to hammer you with tough questions right out of the box. And anyway, so when the question comes up, why are you here before us? Why? This is exactly what the role of the Supreme Court should be and and what the judicial branch is all about. You are here because you are saying that this is unconstitutional. You are saying that they're bypassing that other branch of government that seems to be bypassed an awful lot. The co-equal branch called the legislative branch. So when that question, assuming the Supreme Court will take this case, assuming it's taken, that question will be easily answered, won't it? It is. So the key is we get the Supreme Court to review it, and our argument, why are we here, is pretty clear. The Clean Air Act only gives the EPA limited authority when it comes to this regulation of greenhouse gases. This is not the all-powerful, almighty EPA, and decisions of this magnitude that would transform the whole economy – that has to be resolved by Congress, signed into law by the president. It's such a major change. So that is why we're here. And we think that this gets to the heart of what we, the Supreme Court already ruled in favor of back in 2016. That's why we just have to get this case to the court. And we think there's a good chance we could prevail. How soon will you know if they're willing to hear this? We're probably going to know in the fall, because normally it's the process we filed the a petition uh, to hear the case uh, yesterday, and obviously the government is going to have their opportunity to respond, and then we'll do a reply. So I bet sometime in uh, September, October, we'll know. All right. We appreciate the update. Uh, Attorney General, great state of West Virginia, leading now 19 other states now in a coalition against this unconstitutional, radical, new Green Deal socialist madness That will impact every American and deeply impact uh, the idea of energy independence and high paying career jobs in the energy sector. Listen, why is this important? Well, when you start paying four or five dollars a gallon for gas 
and you're paying twice as much to heat and cool your home, then maybe you'll say, why didn't we listen to Hannity? He was right from the beginning. They're, they're environmental, environmental radicals. It is good for our national security. It is good for our financial security to be energy independent. Mr. Uh, Attorney General, thank you for being with us. Appreciate it. Hey, Sean, thank you. And be on the lookout. This pie-in-the-sky proposal of Biden, we're just beginning to unpack it. The devastation to our economy is going to be something we haven't seen before if we don't stop it. All right, back to our busy phones, 800-941-SEAN, our number. This is an interesting question. Marty is in the great state of Kentucky. Well, all eyes, isn't the Kentucky Derby this weekend, right? It is. It is, and we're back on track. I think they're expecting about 45,000 people there. Wow, so, glad well, to hear that. Hear. Yeah. I, look, I, I know some people love it. I really, I get it. I've never been to a Kentucky Derby and it's kind of cool. It's, I guess, traditional, these these crazy hats that people wear, mint juleps. I wouldn't be caught dead drinking a mint julep in my life. It's not just, it's never going to happen. <laughs> just saying. I don't know if you've ever had one. Uh, no, no. I, I went to the Derby a couple times back in college, Sean, and uh, it's, it's, I've outgrown that, I guess. It's, uh, <laughs> it's I'll, I'll, I'll take either a beer or a Tito's. I'll be good. That'll That'll work for me. Yeah, yeah, well, and, you know, they're going to be wearing their face masks out there this weekend, I guess. I don't know how the, the mint julep drinking is going to go anyway. Well, Joe but, says uh, it's your patriotic duty now. Even vaccinated Americans, you've got to wear your uh, face mask, he said. It's your patriotic yeah. duty, for God's sake. That's what he said. His words, not mine. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I think he uh, modeled that well on his Zoom call with world leaders, certainly uh, showing us what strength looks like there wearing his face mask on a Zoom call. But um, the reason I'm calling, Sean, I'm, I'm wondering if you can help me understand why, if, if we're to believe what we're told, that the, the youth of this country are latching on to these socialist ideas as though there's something new. Um, I mean, I've got four kids of my own. The last thing they want to be associated with is old ideas. And, you know, you hear people refer to People in Joe's age group is boomers. You know, you've got Bernie in that same group. Um, but yet they're latching on to these ideas that have been around since then. But, but frankly, freedom and capitalism are new ideas. But, you know, they're latching on to the ideas of Lenin and Stalin and um, Castro and, you know, these people that are, you know, from an era where, um, you know, it's certainly not cutting edge. Um, you know, when I was Young young people wanted freedom. Young people wanted the government out of their lives. Um, and I'm just wondering if you can help me understand why, why are they latching on to this and what can we do to, to better brand socialism? Well, but, you know, look, Bill Maher said ideas. this recently on a show, and he was dead on accurate. He said, you know, all these millennials, yeah, sure, I love I love socialism and, and communism, whatever whatever term we're giving it on any given day. And he goes, uh, yeah, they can't really understand that it's been tried before. It never worked before. And just because it didn't happen in their lifetime doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's still a So when you idea. say you're old, you don't get it. Get what? Abolish the police and the Border Patrol and capitalism and cancel Lincoln? No, I get it. The problem isn't that I don't get what you're saying or that I'm old. The problem is that your ideas are stupid. If you say, let's eat in the bathroom and in the kitchen. Yeah, that's a new idea. <laughs> but I wouldn't call it interior design. I mean, 
he actually he's been pretty good lately. I don't know what's happened. Maybe maybe he's what? becoming more Hannity like, and and that would probably blow his brains out of him if he heard that. But um, that is, I mean, he's right. Just because it didn't happen in their lifetime. And, and unfortunately, there is this myopic view, which is which probably explains the appeal that everything free sounds so good. Doesn't that sound good, Marty? Everything's going to be free, pre-K uh, education, daycare free, free college, guaranteed government oh, yeah. job, guaranteed government wage, guaranteed healthy government food, guaranteed yeah. retirement, guaranteed health. It sounds great. But you're entrusting the same people that promised Medicare and Social Security would stay solvent. It's not. The same people that promised Obamacare, keep your doctor plan and save money. None of it happened. Uh, The same people that can't have law and order in our cities or keep people safe and secure. And the same people that destroyed the educational system and are wasting our money on education. Now we're going to trust them with something new and believe these ridiculous promises and spend untold trillions of dollars and throw it down the sewer? Because that's where we're headed, down the sewer with it. Uh, You know, Rush, you used to always say you can't compete with Santa Claus, and I think the Democrats know that better than anybody. But, you know, we've got to do a better job educating our youth. They're not getting history education in schools. We've got to let them know that these are not new ideas. We've got to do a better job letting them know where this is headed. I think conservatives are sometimes too polite. We don't want to compare what's happening in this country right now to those terrible um, Stalinist regimes that, you know, the things that led to, you know, just horrible conditions and the deaths of of millions. It's like we're too polite to, to make those comparisons, but that's how it starts. That's this is exactly how it started. This all starts with a school system that failed. That's why 2022. Yeah, our country is future is on the line. You can't even think about 2024. A lot of important well, Senate races. And if we don't win them, it's not going to bode well. If we don't take back the House, it's not going to be good for our kids and grandkids future. Anyway, I hope uh, I hope that was worthwhile. Good call. Yeah, how do you compete with Santa Claus, right? That sums it up. Santa Claus is pretty appealing. You get everything for free, even if you're good or bad. You might get a piece of coal if you've been bad. I don't know. Quick break right back. Your call's on the other side. Straight ahead. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. By the way, we have a Biden DOJ nominee that helped organize an event that celebrated cop killers. Now, you probably think I'm making this up. I'm not. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz grilled Kristen Clark, President Joe Biden's nominee to head the Civil Rights Division of the DOJ over her controversial past. So Cruz says to her, "Um, your advocacy and frankly extreme position on defunding the police is paired with a history of not only excusing, but celebrating murderers who have murdered police officers. By the way, we're now up, I think, 30 percent from this point last year, which was not particularly good in terms of police killed in the line of duty, over 111 now. And anyway, it's been uh, reported that during the your law school years that you helped organize a conference with speakers who referred to convicted cop killers as political prisoners, including Mumia Abdul-Jamal, that guy murdered a Philadelphia police officer, uh, and Asada Shakur, 
who was convicted of murdering a New Jersey state trooper, escaped from prison on the FBI's most wanted list. Did you organize the conference, and do you support celebrating those that murder police officers as heroes and political prisoners? He asked. So Clark said that the conference was organized by a noted historian and that she was a student providing support for the Institute working on a range of projects. She said she doesn't celebrate the loss of life. So Cruz says, uh, so if you didn't organize the conference, why did multiple speakers at the conference thank you by name for inviting them to speak at the conference? Great question, right? Well, that's because I was a hardworking student and made sure the people were fed and I mailed out invitations and provided the agenda. I was a student providing logistical support to a notable historian who was one of the the one who organized the conference. So then Cruz, not missing a beat, goes, so if there is a police officer in Philadelphia or New Jersey today watching this hearing, how are they supposed to react to your nomination to one of the senior positions at the Department of Justice, knowing that as a student you participated in a conference that celebrated uh, the killing and lionizing the killing of cop killers and, and murdering a Philadelphia police officer and a New Jersey state trooper. How should a cop today watching this react to that news? She responds by claiming she does not celebrate the loss of life or killing of a police officer. Okay. By the way, new poll shows that America's police are way more popular than Joe Biden. In case you're interested, NBC News survey, you know, they outrated him by about 10 points. Uh, now, there was a tweet sent out by Representative Cory Bush of Missouri. Today's decision to defund the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department is historic. It marks a new future for our city. Now, this has been on my mind a lot lately. Because we keep hearing Obama said it, many have said it. We, we've got to reimagine policing in America. Just listen. The last thing you need is an up-armored Humvee coming into a neighborhood. It's like the military invading. They don't know anybody. They become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. The folks in law enforcement that share the goals of reimagining policing. We have confused the, the idea that to achieve safety, you put more cops on the street. Reimagining policing in the 21st century. My push is that we defund our police departments. And I know people don't want to hear, oh, we don't want to talk about defunding. Rethinking and reimagining policing. I don't believe that officers need to necessarily uh, have weapons, uh, you know, uh, every time they, they're, they're making a, a traffic stop. Community efforts to reimagine policing. To reimagine policing. We have to reimagine what policing looks like. Reimagining policing, reimagining our public safety. Reimagine a citizen-led approach. You can begin to reimagine law enforcement. Reimagine public safety in this country. Police power showing up in a kind of gangster and thug mentality. You know, you, don't have, you, you can wear all kinds of colors and be a thug. You can sometimes wear the colors of the state and behave like a thug. We shouldn't be surprised when we see police officers act like bullies on the street. What can we do to reimagine public safety? Reimagining public safety. To reimagine public safety. We must reimagine what public safety looks like. Reimagine. What does that mean? Man brutally beat a Delaware police officer to death, charged with the killing of this police officer. That's in the news today. 
We told you about all the retirements in New York with the NYPD. I mean, they're getting out <laughs> as quickly as they can because reimagining means they can't do their job and it's open season on cops. You have more than 200 Seattle police officers. They quit, too. We had Christy Nome on earlier. She's saying, yeah, come to South Dakota. We respect your work. We appreciate the, the hard job you do every day. Come work for us. We're not defunding. We're not dismantling. We're not um, reimagining police departments. Washington Times had a piece out today about this Delaware police officer that died. I think this is now 112. And most of them shot, killed in the, in the line of duty. This one was beaten to death. And uh, two officers died in Wednesday after an attack. A North Carolina sheriff's deputy also killed when he was ambushed by a gunman while conducting a, quote, routine welfare check. It's clear police officers are now being targeted like never before. So I guess the reimagining part that people are talking about has to do with no police. How do you think that's going to work out? Who are you going to call? I keep asking the question. What are you going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I'll be very, very frank. I'm not depending on anybody for my safety and security. I'm not. I just, I, I depend on myself. I urge all of you to depend on yourselves too, legally. Legally. Stay away from as much conflict as possible. Tell my kids if there's any gathering of people, stay as far the hell away as you possibly can. Because there's nothing but trouble at these, quote, peaceful protests. Uh, all right, let's get to our busy telephones here. Uh, Dorian is in Oklahoma. Dorian, hi, how are you? Glad you called. Uh, hi, uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you for calling. So as things go on, you know, we see the country in ever more t- turmoil, and eventually some of the uh, older senators and whatnot are going to eventually retire, and it's going to fall upon the younger people to get active and get into the government itself. So how should young conservatives get into the government itself. What are some things we should be doing? Well, first of all, how old are you? You're, I'm 20. You're 20. Okay. Yes. You're 20 years old. First of all, you're light years ahead of your peers. Good for you. Um, I kind of was in that position too, because I, I was, for whatever reason, was drawn to radio and I just listened to these really smart people on the radio and I got an education listening to them about this country, our constitution, about communism, socialism, radicalism, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I learned a lot from that. The best thing you could do is wherever your passion takes you. You know, I, I used to say in early in my career, we just we have to just bypass the media and become the media on our own. That, that's hence the rise of conservative talk radio. You know, the one outlet with a few of us on the Fox News channel, that that's another outlet, at least, where you can get some voices of conservatism. Other people choose the, the route of the political world, and you can get involved in that world. And, and maybe you start at a local level. Maybe you're on a city council. Maybe you're on a school board. Maybe you run for a state senate or a state assembly or whatever, be a state legislator. Uh, then maybe you make your way to Congress and have a nice, big, loud voice and uh, let your principles be heard and become a leader there. Don't just sit back and let others do, do the work. Maybe you become a senator, maybe become a president. The idea is whatever you do, just do it. You know, this life, you know, you're 20 years old. Um, around my kids' age, I, I tell them in terms of their life and career, you know, putting aside dumb mistakes that all kids are capable of making. Don't be one of those kids throwing up in the bushes, for example. 
Um, you're not ready to be a parent yet. You're too young. You've got a career to build. Uh, stay never drugs. It, it's it's a spiral to hell. Um, all those kind of things, you know, things to think about. But the next thing is you can't, if short of that for a career, you can't really make a mistake right now. As long as you can provide for yourself and, and pay your rent and put food on your table and clothes on your back. Short of that, you can't really mess up yet. So you might as well experiment and find what you love to do and then see if you can turn that into a career. If politics is your passion, then look at the you can look at the media. You can maybe maybe you're a computer genius. Maybe you can start a big tech company and be become the next Zuckerberg or Bill Gates uh, or at Jack even. I don't know. Um but but you really can't make a mistake. If this is where your heart is, follow it. You know, find you know, dig deep, see the talents within you. And and doors will open. Make sense? Yeah. So I do intend to run. So people like me who do want to run when we get of legal age and whatnot, are there any organizations that we could join? Any that you would recommend? Yeah, Charlie Kirk's organization. I think that's a. It's what's it called, Linda? It's Turning Points USA, buddy. Tur- yeah, Turning, Turning Points, Points USA, USA. Charlie Kirk. You know, so you can start there. At the end of the day, for me, I just had to follow my own path. And I did. I was, I've been fiercely independent since I'm very young. I mean, my father used to make fun. You're just treating this house like a flop house. And in a way, he was right, because I'd come and go as I would choose. And, but he knew I was working because he would steal all my money when I came home. And he'd try to put it in a bank account. So at least half of it he'd take and save it for me, which ended up paying off for me in my life. And um, so when I'm dead asleep, I'd be, you know, snoring away. He'd go in my pocket. He'd take whatever cash I had, leave me, leave me a decent amount and then put the rest of it in the bank for me. And I did appreciate it later in life, not at the time. Um, But in the sense that I worked, I just loved working. For me, work was everything. Having money in my pocket, I loved it. You know, you can talk to any of my friends that knew me when I was in grade school and high school. I pull out these massive wads of cash and they like looking at what, what, what is that? How do you get all of that money? And then I'd bargain with them. I, my best buddy Gomez, his dad made the best homemade chicken that he cook on the grill. And John, he would get it once a week. He was sick of it. And I'm, for me, it was like, you know, a, a gourmet steak and lobster dinner at the time. And all John wanted was the crappy pizza they sold in the cafeteria. So I'd say, here, give me the chicken. Go buy your crappy pizza and yodels. And uh, we got a deal. We used to do that all the time. So find something you love. Get involved. Have fun. I would say read The Purpose Driven Life by Pastor Rick Warren. And the latest edition is really cool because you take your phone, you put your camera on this little square doohinky, and all of a sudden up comes uh, a, a lecture from Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, who I like a lot. He's a great guy. And then you get to listen to it, and it enhances. It's 40 days to change your life. Now, you're going to live whatever many days in your life. Take 40 days to see what your purpose in life is, and it helps you think about these things. The other book I'd recommend is The Road Less Traveled. And the first part, the first sentence in that book is life is difficult. Everyone has to accept life is hard. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your financial status. It's hard. And the last book, if you, I'm, for me, I'm, I'm not a proselytizer, but it does give me great comfort. And that is the Bible. You know, a lot of good lessons to learn in the Bible. I never read the Old Testament. 
I've been reading the Old Testament and learning about King David and learning about Solomon and Moses and, and all these incredible people. And, you know, the amazing part is, is, you know, they all failed God in some way. Peter denied Jesus three times. Saul of Tarsus persecuted Christians. Um, Moses never made it to the promised land. The reason why is fascinating. Uh, David, you know, with 500 concubines, couldn't withstand the temptation of Bathsheba, which led to adultery and the murder of Bathsheba's husband. Um, all of these are, are just life lessons that have helped me, and that's what I would recommend for you. And then the political side of it, you read Mark Levin's books and you'll get there. It's all good. Anyway, quick break, 800-941-SEAN. I hope that helped you, Dorian. Um, Hi. All right, my friend, God bless you. It's hard being a kid. 20 and a conservative? Forget it. All right, quick break. We'll come back. More calls on the other side. 800-941-SEAN. Friday, little Friday fun. I don't know if you saw Bryce Harper get hit in the face with a 97-mile-per-hour fastball. Uh, thank God he's okay. But then the next batter, D.D. Gregorius, got hit uh, with the next pitch. And it became a big controversy. Longtime uh, announcer for the Phillies, Larry Anderson, will join us. That is up next. And your call's final half hour, 800-941-SEAN, our number on this Friday. Coming up next, our final news roundup and information overload hour. All right, news roundup, information overload hour, uh, Sean Hannity show, 800-941-SEAN is our number. We'll get to a lot of your calls this uh, last hour of the program today. Um, You know, I... I'm annoyed with politics and sports, but I can't help that I have a passion for sports. And and I've always loved baseball. I was a pitcher when I was a kid. And I've told this story many times in the past where I either struck everybody out or I was throwing the ball over the backstop and I had like no control. It was, you know, is it a good day or is it a bad day? Or I might have four good innings and then I'd become, then all of a sudden it just left me. I don't know what would happen. Used to drive my coaches crazy, uh, but I played varsity in my freshman year of high school and as, as a pitcher, and I I love the game. And anyway, so I, was, I saw this video. I I had not been watching the game. I saw it after the fact, and total chaos breaks out when this game is going on. Now I happen to be a big fan of Bryce Harper. He's with the Philadelphia Phillies, and I'm, I'm watching this game. I think it was against the Cardinals. It was against the Cardinals, right? And anyway, he got hit in the face with a 97-mile-per-hour fastball. Hit right in the face. First pitch of a relief pitcher comes into the game. Now, the pitcher's reaction is such that he didn't mean to do it. And having had that experience myself when I didn't have control, uh, I I felt like I could relate to it a little bit. Then the next batter comes up, and he hits the next batter. And, like, you know, all hell's about to break loose. Joe Girardi is now back in the game. He's managing. He used to manage for the Yankees and now is managing for the Phillies. I mean, he is pissed. He's walking off the field. Now, they didn't throw the pitcher out of the game. They end up throwing Joe Girardi out of the game because he's so ticked off over it, rightly so, and he's standing up for his players. And as he's walking off the field, he tells the pitcher, throw the ball over the blanking plate. I mean, it just caught, it just cracked me up. He talked about it after the game. Uh, anyway, the St. Louis pitcher who hit Bryce Harper and one of the other batters, this is what he said. And obviously you were pretty pissed. I mean, yeah. um, at 
at the war the, the warnings to both benches or and yeah. then what did you say to what did you say to Cabrera? He he didn't even look like he belonged on a big league field. Well, well I I didn't really nothing say nothing to him. I was motioning that he should be thrown out, right? I understand why they give the warnings, right? I, I understand they don't want things to escalate, they don't want people to get hit. But if a guy hits a guy in the face and a guy in the ribs with two pitches, he's got to go, right? If you're really protecting the players, obviously he doesn't have command. He's got to go. What if I got another lefty up? I mean, now I got a shortstop that probably might have to have Im imaging on his ribs. And you're going to let him stay in the game? Is it because of the three batter minimum? I don't know. He's got to go. And I had a problem with him not going, you know. And I don't think he did it on purpose. I'm not saying that. But for the protection of the players, he's got to go. All right, joining us now, Larry Anderson. Uh, Larry's a former uh, Phillies pitcher himself, turned a 17-year playing career into an incredible career in the broadcast booth, calling games for the Phillies. The 2021 season now, it marks Larry Anderson's 24th year serving as a color analyst for Phillies games. Uh, first, of all, first of all, I'm a fan, A, B, um, it's an honor to have you on the program and see, uh, wow, this was an, uh, this was pretty scary day for me because I'm a big fan of Br Bryce Harper. Sean, it's my honor to be on the show, but you're right. Bryce Harper, I mean, him getting hit, he's the, the face of our franchise. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's the, the 26th man on the team or the, the face of the franchise. When, when you get pitches up around your head, that's what, that's, that's the absolute taboo no-no. You know, if you're going to throw at somebody, even if it's intentional, you, you know, you, you're told, you, you throw, you try and hit it in the ribs. You know, actually where Didi Gregorius got hit with the next pitch. Um, if you're going to do it, if it's something yeah, like that. used to play for the Yankees. I know. I, I saw that. I'm like, oh. Now, you're a former pitcher. Can you right. at all relate to what this pitcher was going through, or can you relate to my experience? Obviously, I was nowhere near your caliber pitcher, but I, I, I did pitch for many years as a kid. It's you have uh, nowadays. What you have is is everything's about velocity uh, as far as the pitching. You know, scouts look they look for guys at high school kids that throw in the nineties already, uh, college kids that are already ninety five to hundred. They're they're just looking for velocity, and a lot of the the, the command of the pitches is forgotten about. And I think. You know, you get young kids coming up to throw hard, obviously not a lot of experience, and pitches just get away. And I think, you know, this kid, and here's a class act, too. Harper sent a text after the game to the kid that said, hey, I know you weren't trying to hurt me or trying to throw at me, which was just a class act in itself. And their manager, uh, Mike Schilt, even commented on that uh, afterwards. Um, but if, if you can't c control it, you you probably shouldn't be at this level. And I think that's what Girardi was saying. Hey, you're, somebody's going to get hurt really bad. I mean, for Harper not to, apparently the CT scans and everything were clean, so nothing broken, which is just amazing. I think Brandon Kinsler, one of our relievers, said this guy, if he's not, he's done anything broken in his face, this guy's made a steal. I mean, it was, but that, it's just so scary. And and then to come back with the next pitch and get a guy in the, in the back, in the ribs, it's just, I think there are. And, the, point, and hey. the thing is, you you could you could, you're now facing potentially, you know, an injury, which you know, there's only so much time that you're physically going to be able to participate in any sport. You got a very you got a very small window for most athletes, 
Now, D.D. Gregorius and, and Bryce Harper, they've had long careers, but everything is riding on them staying healthy, which is why they spend so much time doing cross-training, stamina building, strength training, stretching, injury prevention, and you see the behind-the-scenes. It is a full-time job on-season, off-season, and 160-whatever games a year makes it even more gr- more of a grind for baseball players. Uh, no question. I mean, back when I was when I was playing, um, especially when I first started, uh, you, you you couldn't work out twenty four seven and and you know every day of the year because you had to work another job. Um, the minimum salary when I first got to the big leagues in seventy five was fourteen thousand five hundred. So even though it's you know we're we're a lot fifty years removed from that, it's still, it still it still wasn't a whole lot of money uh, to to make it through a whole year. So you had to work other jobs. Nowadays, everything is the pay, players are paid so much. The minimum salary is over a half a million. Um, you have the opportunity to work out year round, and that's what these guys do. That's why they're throwing harder, running faster, they're stronger, and uh, and I think that's where in, therein lies some of the the danger of these guys that are so strong, throw so hard. Um, you, you just it, it's just scary. I, I and I, I honestly can't believe that that Bryce survive that without injuries that we know we don't know for sure bd is going to need any x-rays on his ribs he said he was feeling better yesterday so that's a good sign but uh i mean you're right that the careers are short and, and you you do everything you can and get as, as much length as you can into your career and uh and hope for the best but when when you get pitches like that that can end a career that that's that's just where it, it, you just have to stop and go wait a minute this this isn't right I, I actually think that the manager of of the Cardinals should have pulled him after D.D. Gregorius got got hit, and he should have just realized, okay, you don't, you're not on your A game today. It was a right-handed batter next that got a base hit, if I remember, and the go-ahead run came in um, in that particular case. But you know, now this pitcher's future is on the line here too, because yeah, if he has I mean, one more outing like this anytime soon, he's probably going to be sent down to the minors, right? Even if he doesn't, John, he's he. It's in his head. He knows, and I I really think him hitting Gregorius with the very next pitch was him wanting to throw a pitch inside, but saying, "Okay, I don't want to make a mistake, but I don't want to hit him." Steve Carlton taught me a long time ago about when pitching the thought precedes the action. He's probably thinking, "Okay, I can't hit this guy." That's what you're going to do because he's thinking that that that, and I think that's probably what happened. And it's a young pitcher, inexperienced. And you you start thinking that way, and all of a sudden you're not you're not pitching your game. And I think the other thing too, you do what he did, it can have a mental effect on him for the rest of his life. He he might not be able to throw another strike, you know, the rest of this year or ever again. I mean, I'm not saying he won't, but those are the things that can happen. They can creep into your mind and can just destroy you mentally, or keep you from 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 pitching anymore. Yeah. Well, there is the three. There is a three-hitter rule where pitchers need right. to be to pitch to at least three batters. So now the umps all huddled together after after both players got hit, Bryce Harper and Didi Gregorius got hit, and so I, I and I felt watching it, I did not feel it was intentional. You didn't think it was intentional. Gir- no. Girardi said he didn't think it was intentional. You know, usually if you think it's intentional, those benches are going to empty and we're going to have a brawl, right? Yeah. That's going to happen, but I think again, even even you know, you talk, a couple of comments were made about old school baseball. Well, old school baseball is you throw up around a guy's head. There's going to be retaliation, and that's that's just a no no. If you want to throw at somebody, you hit him in the back, you hit him in the in the butt, you hit him in the hip, 
you know, in the ribs, but up around the head, whether it's intentional or not, that's the, there's no excuse for that. And I think part of the thing, Girardi's thing was, you know, there is a three-batter rule, but the umpires could have ejected him. And I, honestly, I think their manager probably wished they would have ejected him after two batters, but I, I guess the umpires just decided to go with the rules that he's got to face another hitter at the expense of the next hitter, who knows where the ball is going to go. And it's, I think that was what Girardi's point was. Hey, this guy's going to hurt somebody, but whether it's intentional or not, he's not trying it. I don't think he is, but he could hurt somebody could end a career. Let's, let's put an end to this right now. And I think that's what his point was. That we got to stop this. i tell you an incident that scared the hell out of me in my life. So I was at a Yankee game and, you know, I was sitting if, for example, you know the netting behind um, home plate, right? right? It goes to a certain length, maybe just a few feet beyond that. In other words, not protected, and right. um, up maybe halfway in the in the in the first row of seats, um, a ways. Anyway, it's it just the weirdest circumstance. The Yankees doctor happened to be a fan of mine. Came down to say hello. He sits down. I'm talking to him. Next thing out of the corner of my eye, I see a ball coming right at. My son, who was uh, sitting on the other side of me, and hit him in the face. A oh. line drive. Now, you know, really scary moment. And he went right to the ground. Then the ball bounces all over the place. I mean, you, you heard and I remember it was like slow motion. It was, I didn't have, uh, I, I wasn't paying attention at that moment. I was talking to the doctor. And anyway, the Yankees were great. I didn't know at every stadium until then, that they literally have teams spread all throughout the stadium because this is something that happens quite often. And I'm not, obviously, you take a risk in everything you do, but they were great. They had medical professionals. They immediately surrounded my son. You know, when he stood up, he actually had an applause. I don't think he remembers it. Whoever did get the foul ball actually handed him the foul ball, which was pretty cool. Um, and they pull you in the back of a room. You know, you get immediate medical attention, and they suggested we just, for safety reasons, go to get an x-ray. We went. Everything was fine, thank God. But it was a pretty big hit. And uh, and then they follow up, and, and, you know, here's who would you like to get an autographed baseball from and that sort of thing. Did, how common is that? That's, I think it's it's real common. I, they're so uh, protective of the fans and, and having medical people around the stadium, you know, throughout the game. Um, just because of, of that very thing. Now, the netting has been extended much further now. It's almost down in, all the way to foul lines uh, in the, in the right. front rows, um, which uh, obviously, you know, the, when those balls come in, like the ball hit your son, I mean, you think about where it hit him or where it could have hit him or, you know, where it could have just, you know, just destroyed his mouth and eye socket, something like that. You just, it's, oh, it's just, you know, just a fluke thing, right? I mean, who yeah. would have ever suspected it? Uh, well, Larry, listen, we're putting the video of this up on Hannity.com. And, and even if you're not a big sports fan, you still you got to watch this because it's fascinating. I love to watch the best in whatever sport is playing. And, and there's nobody really better right now. Bryce Harper happens to be just a franchise player. He's with the Phillies now. And, and uh, as you are a franchise broadcaster, congratulations. Now your 24th season as a color analyst for the Phillies games. Uh, what a great transition after a great player career yourself for 17 years. Congratulations. Well, I appreciate that very much. It's uh, It was an easy transition for the most part because you kind of know the game. And 
So I, I've it's, it's not for it. um, it's not for everybody. Broadcasting <laughs> is not it's, it's not an easy transition for other people. I can tell you that it shows your That's incredible true. depth and and skills in many areas. No, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a fun road, and it's something I love doing, and uh, I love Philadelphia, and so it's uh, it's in my blood, and, and I just I enjoy it, and and hope everybody else does too when I'm broadcasting. Well, I hope to see you one day and uh, and pay a visit. I'd love to love to meet up with you and have a Philly cheesesteak with you, my friend. Thank you. Oh, I would love it anytime. All right, that's Larry Anderson. He is the voice of the Phillies, twenty four years now. By the way, pitcher, seventeen year career. That's that's a long career in baseball or any sport. Quick break, right back. Your calls on the other side, straight ahead. One of the things I just love about sports, Hannity, why are you talking sports? We got sports talk stations for that, because I love sports. What is it about sports? Sports mirrors life. You take an individual sport, boxing, golf, tennis, and of course, MMA, right? UFC fighters. You know, that that is an individual sport. I mean, every you live and die by what you do on your own. You're out there alone. You know, even in a way, pitching, I mean, obviously you need a catcher and a team behind you, but, you know, that's that's an individual position, like other position players. But the what do you learn about sports? Number one, it's hard. The harder you work, the better you usually do. You have to learn with you win and win graciously and, and be a gracious loser occasionally. You're not going to always win, right, if you play a team sport. Got to learn to work with others and good teammates. Good chemistry usually helps the team. You know, sometimes one of the, the best things a teammate can do to another teammate, if somebody's in a slump, somebody has a bad day, somebody has a bad loss of some kind, is just say, hey, put it behind you. Let's go. We move forward. And that's life. Life is not easy. All right, let's get to our phones. June is in South Carolina. What's up, June? How are you? Glad you called. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you fine. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. I don't know how to segue from sports into Tim Scott. Just but... go right to it. What's <laughs> what, what's your thoughts on your great senator? Oh, he's he is amazing. I um, first met him about 25 years ago, Sean, at a church in a foyer, and oh. he had something special about him. And I was with uh, my husband, and I were with my girlfriend and her husband. He came over to us, and he was just so encouraging. And then I saw him kind of working that room. And um, my girlfriend said, I knew him in high school. He's always been like that. He just encourages people. It's genuine. And I hear people saying at a national level, he seems so genuine. And I'm telling you, I knew him before he ran for office went to church with him for 10 years and would see him and he would speak and he's genuine and it comes from the right place. His motives, I mean, I don't know him intimately, of course, you know, but I know the community that he fostered and that um, he, I sat in the same sermons as he did. In fact, what he said at the end of his speech is how our pastor ended all of his sermons. That's, fa- so, that's actually a fascinating insight and story into him. I just we've just gotten to know him on this program, and and we, we don't always agree on every issue. Nobody agrees with everybody on every issue, but sure. Um, it's amazing to me the the fallout of this is you see the left for who they are, 
and the viciousness. It was repulsive, these attacks. At Jack, 12 hours, you're going to let it let it trend? Uncle Tim? You know, you see it on, on NBC News, MSDNC. The horrific language used by the left, obviously threatened by by conservatives that are African-American. Deneen Borelli said it so well. And she wrote the book, it was bestseller, Blacklash. And she starts the book, says, Google my name. See what names I've been called and the life that she's had to live. And, and she never let it bother her um, to the extent. I mean, I'm sure it hurts. You know, I, I just happen to be one of the rare people that I just don't give a rip. I don't care anymore what people say or think about me. I, but, but it takes a while to build up enough antibodies for that. And yeah. he's such a good man, as you point out, with such a good heart. Loves yeah. his home state of South Carolina. And it's fascinating to watch both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris agree with his statement. Most of American, most Americans are not racist. They are not. That's just a fact. Now, there are always going to be the few, the ignorant among us. There's always going to be evil people around us. That is the story of the human experience that I'm sure came up once or twice in church that you attended. And but there are people that, you know, we believe in natural law. What is natural law that we're endowed by a creator? And that if you believe that, that God created every man, woman and child, then you believe God put talents in every every man, woman and child and government, you know, in its in its best state and necessary evil and its worst state and intolerable one. And that's why we believe rights come from God, not from government. That's why we believe as conservatives in limited government and greater freedom. So you bring those talents to fruition and you, you know, hopefully share them with the rest of humanity. And then most people then in the course of their life, they get to make choices. And there's always the temptations of life and you make choices, good versus evil every day of your life. And, and you live with the consequences of those choices, unfortunately. Absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned talents. Tim has a gift for encouragement. It's a gift. Like my girlfriend said, he was like that in high school. You're not going to take that from him. It's embedded in him. And it, it goes deep. And I see him rising above all of this. I don't even know. You know, I heard that Uncle Tim was trending, and I'm like, oh, they put a positive spin on it because they're talking about Tim Scott. Because I know who he is, and I'm like, well, that's a good, whatever it is, that's a good thing. But I see him rising above it. What I appreciated so much in his speech is he talked about the Republicans and the conservatives' vision rather than just simply harping, or just he didn't land on the negative, the socialism. We know that is just not where we need to be. But he talked about the Republicans' vision. We have an agenda. You know, and when the Democrats, when Trump was in office, their only agenda was Trump bad red man, orange man bad. That was it. But we have a winning agenda, and, and Tim just expressed that so well, and that's where it landed. I came after that, after that speech. It gave me hope because I know he has the same vision that we all as conservatives do, and he just keeps on that vision. All of the other stuff is noise to him, I would think, knowing what I know about him. You know, I, I my my take is: Does he feel it? Yes. Yep. Does it hurt and sting? I bet it does. That's my gut. Um, 
only because, you know, I've been doing this 33 years and I've watched people going through absolute hell when you're in the public eye and you're getting the crap kicked out of you. And it's not exactly like Sunday afternoon at church. Let's go home and and have a summer barbecue. And when it gets real hard, you know, uh, my friends in life that I want to call them and reach out to them when they're under fire, under pressure, having trouble, having difficulty. When everything's right. going fine, you don't really need me at that point in time, right? Right. But when I see right. somebody's in trouble, that's when I like to go in and, and offer whatever help I can offer. Yeah, and, 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 and I tried to offer that to Tim Scott because I suspect that it probably did hurt him. And that's, you know, you know, that's why I'm calling you today, because I think I speak for thousands of people in the Charleston area who have known this man for decades. He's brilliant. He's, he, the, the, I, think, I think we have a war on racism. Like it or not, we're in it. And I think he's the one to help us end it. We've got to fight against this racism thing. It destroys relationships. It, 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 it divides us. It's futile. It will end, and we're in a war, and we need to end it, and I think he's the one to help us do it. Not because he's a token, but because I know his heart. I know where it comes from. I, the, the same God that he serves, I know that I serve, and I know that he gets strength in that. And that's one, another reason why I'm calling, like, like you said, those of us who know him need to support him and need to express that, and that's I what I'm doing I expect that the support back in South Carolina, I bet there, I bet... All the good people of South Carolina, the overwhelming majority, the 99%, are, are disgusted at what they saw unfold this week. And no. they're proud of him, and they will support him. And I, I don't even mention too often that, you know, he's up for re-election in 2022, but he is. Um, because I'm actually very confident that he's going to win re-election. Because I know the people of South Carolina and how they feel about him. And I think that him and Lindsay together make a very good team. And so, anyway, good call, June. We appreciate you add, being able to add that context. I think it means uh, a lot. Uh, let's say hi to Jody's in Arizona. Hey, Jody, how are you? Sean, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for calling. I, <laughs> I just wanted to, to talk about, I, I'm, I'm a parent in Arizona, and I wanted to talk about our kids being made to wear masks in, in their schools, even after our governor uh, lifted the mandate, K-12. Um what do you uh, think of Biden of us, saying, yes, of course, it's just your patriotic responsibility, quote, for God's sakes, to wear, for vaccinated Americans to wear masks? I, I thought we right. were told something different. Weren't we told that we'd be able to return to normal life after vaccination? Yes. And our kids weren't even uh, they, they weren't even affected by this. There is they, they, even the science nope. even showed that there was, they were not affected. But yet they still want the the school districts here still want to keep them um, masked. And we've been going to meetings, uh, the board meetings, and they still are putting them in masks and keeping them even into the year 2022. I, I mean, look, I, I don't get it. There was a great article I read today. And again, I'm very pro-science. I love science. I love medicine. I love I'm, I'm very pro-vaccine. I have no problems with, with you know, science coming up with ways for people to, to prevent people from dying and getting sick. But it's but I'm not a doctor. I, you know, those that are trying to pressure me into telling all of you what to do with your life. I have no knowledge of your medical condition. 
or, or the medical condition of anyone that listens to this program. It is not my place. I can encourage you to read, to learn, to study, and then to consult with the medical professionals in your life that you trust, that know your unique medical condition, and then make your decision. It's the only way to do it. Anyway, yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I feel sad. our parental rights are gone. Our constitutional rights, our parental rights are gone. My, our, we had to talk to our kids about suicide. I mean, there's depression going on. My 16-year-old wanted to get a vaccine so he can get his mask off, but I told him it's not going to matter. Even if you got a vaccine, you're still going to have to wear a mask. So I just want the mask off. Many majority parents want our kids being Listen, there, there are psychological effects that we're talking about here physiological effects. I've read a lot about it. And, you know, all I can say is New York still has kids doing remote learning. And in in Florida, they've had schools open since August of last year. Anyway, thank you, Jody. Don Lank, Ron Concomo, we have a minute and a half for you, and then we got to wrap up. Hey, Sean. Thanks so much for taking my call. Yeah, I just want to echo June, your caller about about Senator Tim Scott, his response to the uh, divider-in-chief was far more uplifting than anything Biden said during his uh, his low-rated, poorly-viewed Marxist pep rally. And America yeah, saw it, or they heard about it yeah. uh, via your uh, your show. Well, I, uh, I <laughs> can you repeat that again? Your leftist <laughs> pep rally? That was great. <laughs> it's a low-rated, poorly-viewed Marxist pep rally. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! I mean, <laughs> well, Linda, write that know, down. We got to steal that. That's well, we're going to give you full awesome. credit. Well of course. said, Don. But go, uh, go. I, I, we ought to tweet that out. That Don Lake Ron Kunkuma. This is what he just said on the Sean Hannity show. Well, what, what or, it says, he set him off. The, the loony left. He set him off because he uh, he just counted all their hypocrisy with his uh, his response, and it was it was a brilliant response and very uplifting. Very well said. I mean, he's a he's a rock star. And I can see him as a president one day. One other thing, Herschel Walker looks like he's going to run in Georgia. I think if he runs, he wins. Uh, we've had the lieutenant governor, African-American, and in North Carolina, what a rock star he is. Uh, we've had, now there are two African-American women that are competing for the, for the Republican nomination in, in Pennsylvania. Rock stars. Amazing people. We had one of them on the air. She was amazing. Kathy Barnett was phenomenal. Mark Robinson, North Carolina. Oh, these guys are amazing. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. Yeah, now Biden's being pressured. Yeah, we need to cancel out conservative voices. We need a government agency to decide what is truth and what is not truth. Okay, that's a little scary. Uh, Joe Concho, Laura Trump, also... The latest on the double standard in terms of application of our laws and equal justice under the law. Professor Alan Dershowitz, Greg Jarrett, Chris Christie hasn't been on in years. He's going to be on tonight. We'll talk to him about all things political. Uh, Cops in America under siege all happening tonight. Nine Eastern on Fox on Hannity on the Fox News Channel. We'll see you tonight at nine back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We'll see you then.